0: other points I wanted to make are not actually related to the exam, but I don't want to turn into a whole episode, so I could just squeeze it in quickly. Mm. It's to do with the book from the last episode, The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Okay. A little bit. And remember one of the conclusions from that was that dying was the only way that he could uh, finally get over that whole suffering that he was going through in terms of facing death you know the only way he could actually be relieved of that suffering was to die and for the people around him Mm. he didn't fear death so much at least i feel at least towards the end he didn't fear death as much but for people who do fear death i guess the only way to truly like get over that fear is to actually die yeah it's very morbid sounding Mm. that's my understanding of it the only way to truly get over that fear is to actually for it just to happen because then you can't fear it anymore
1: you know and the thing is i think it's from what i've kind of experienced in terms of what i've heard from other people and stuff there is everyone's always scared to a certain extent about dying because there's so much like uncertainty to a certain extent how are you going to die that kind of thing um is it going to be painful blah 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 And obviously, look, everyone basically dies in a slightly different way. But I've realized that people who are in the process of like dying, basically, their fear does seem to go, even if they were like initially scared, because now they are basically facing their fear and they've realized that for whatever reason, you know, they're finding some kind of comfort or closure or something in it. Um, So, yeah, obviously, I don't actually know what's going in through their head and how much that fear has changed or whatever maybe you know they start thinking about death or what happens after death in a different way maybe if they're religious obviously then it'd actually be you know a good thing basically um so yeah but even then like a lot of like you know my friends and stuff it's like like and myself as well it's you're always like a little bit scared to like die but it's more like i don't want to die in like a state of sin or like badness if that makes sense so it's just like oh man have i done enough to like you know tip the scales in my favor so that i can get into heaven it's just like i never know basically so the only reason that i'm i would be like scared of death is that like, man i haven't done enough good in this life so off i go to hell kind of thing um so that's where my fear lies so that's why i'm always like on the go go go, go try and do good more good more good kind of thing but then that's why i'm also kind of content because it's like i know that like oh If I die in a state of, you know, goodness in any way or like in a state of forgiveness or, you know, doing a good act, you know, a good deed in Islam or something, then I know that, you know, that death would essentially be good for me because it's like straight to heaven kind of thing. Obviously, there's a lot more nuance to it in general, but I'm just kind of giving a vague type of generalization. So yeah, I suppose it depends on people's preconceived notions of death as to how scared they are and then how that fear changes as they approach death.
0: And then you could take it further and think, is the only way then to get over a fear for the event to actually happen or the situation to actually occur?
1: You need some level of exposure to the fear to be able to get over the fear. So any so whether that's like a near-death experience or actually just going through the process slowly, then, yeah, but then I suppose if you just, like, die, you know, tragically in a car accident, instant death kind of thing, then you never even got exposed to your fear because most people don't have a fear of driving their car or just sitting in a car or any kind of vehicle. Everyone, most people do it, like, every day. So they don't have the fear of dying in that moment. And then if they suddenly die instantly, they never got exposed. So then how does their fear play out even though they were exposed to it? So as soon as you conjure up, like not conjure
0: up, but as soon as you experience that emotion, fear, mm. it's never going to completely go away unless it happens. Is that right?
1: Uh, well, it depends. If you're talking like a specific phobia, right? You need to have like some kind of like graded exposure to it. Yes. So like you'd be,
0: being exposed, basically, yeah, is being, being exposed yeah. the only way you can actually get like, over okay, a Okay,
1: I used to have a huge huge fear of roller coasters it was unbelievable that fear like it it would have been actually like you know diagnosed as a specific phobia type of thing just because of the extremity of that fear yeah i'd be like screaming running away like i I, i'd start feeling scared just when i knew that we were all going like as a family to like like thought park or something and i was younger and stuff I knew I was dreading the day because throughout the entire day, my parents and my friends and whatever would just be encouraging me to go on. Like even sometimes, you know, jokingly, encouragingly, like forcing me on, like pulling me into the line kind of thing, man, it was not a nice experience. And yeah, even then, like, so then what, one day I just saw a roller coaster. we were at Alton Towers and it was like a very simple one. It would just kind of, it was basically like a oval and you just kind of go up and down with a couple of bumps. And then I managed to conjure up the like, because again, I'd like to think that I went through it rationally. I was just like, I'd assess, I assessed like every single bolt along the track. I was like, okay, fine. It looks safe. And I watched it like 10 times. Like, okay, everything's going smoothly and consistently. And so, so then I managed to conjure up the, you know, mo- like the, the, the courage to actually go on the ride and i went on it and i was like okay that was decent and it was actually kind of exhilarating i was like, oh, this kind of fun so i went on it like five times in a row i was like yo this is kind of lit and then i went on to a slightly bigger one and you know i was slowly going up the grades and the thing is when it came to anything like major or anything that you know like you know nemesis infernal or stealth or the ones where you have to go upside or where you go upside down and stuff those ones were still a no no from me um so but then eventually i kind of got tricked in not tricked into going on they were like oh yeah this one's calm this one's calm so then i went on to it and it was called air it's they've changed the name of it i can't remember what it's called now it was air at alton towers um and basically it's like you know like the ones with like nemesis inferno at um thought park like where your hands your legs are like dangling off yeah but it does that but then it like flips you over so you're facing the ground so then you're like in a superman position and you take you off that way and my mom like went on it before as well and she was just oh yeah it's really smooth and relaxing and stuff and then i went on it and i sat in in the chair and then it started flipping and i was like oh my god what the hell have i got myself and i was i was like swearing and screaming at that moment as it was going off like oh my god i'm gonna die like actually just screaming that out loud and then eventually we went over like on it and everything and then by the end of it you know i was still alive and i got off and i was like yo that that was pretty lit so i ran all the way around because um It was empty. It was like a cold, wet day. We ran all the way around the line went back on it, sat in the chair, and I was like... And then as soon as it started flipping, I was like, oh, my God. And I started screaming again. I was like, what have I got myself into? Why did I do this to myself? And then went around and was like, oh, this is kind of lit. And then the third time I went on it, because, again, there was no cue, and then I was actually calm. So, again, it just required a certain level of exposure. Um, and now, like, I love roller coasters. And it's not like it's going to go from fear to love. It's just going to be, go for, most of the time, just fear from, you know, able to tolerate it kind of thing.
0: And what's interesting to consider is that you... You could have got over that fear without going on any roller coasters in a in a way, but by just rationalizing it and thinking, oh, it is pretty safe. Like, yeah. I don't know. And
1: that's what I needed to do to even get on in the first place. But to truly get
0: get over that fear, you just had to do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because I,
1: I, I could rationalize it as much as I wanted to. I could see that it was safe. I knew the statistics in terms of roller coaster crash was super low. I'd seen thousands of people in front of my eyes go on it. It was completely fine.
0: So fear comes from doubt. Is that right? It's doubt because you're... It's from... Oh, there go the fireworks. Yep. Confirmation <laughs> that it is indeed New, Year. New Year's Eve. <laughs> um, in my head, I'm just thinking about it. Like fear comes from doubt and also the disconcordance between your impression I, I, of it. I
1: wouldn't say doubt. I'd say more uncertainty or apprehension.
0: Okay, fine. Uncertainty, I'm happy to accept. Yeah. Um so it's like because I'm thinking about that roller coaster situation I could give you a rational piece of information and say like okay every year x thousand of people go on these roller coasters and every year maybe four people get might get an injury on average mm. or something no, like
1: I, that. I think a really good example actually so, sorry to just cut you off is like people a lot of people have you know really big fears of going on planes right. Yeah. But it's really easy to say that you have like, there are way more car crashes. You're more likely to die in a car crash than you are on an airplane or, or like for an airplane to crash. But you still take the car without probably thinking twice about it every single day. And then, you know, most people can rationalize that. People will be like, yeah, okay, fine. But they'll still get that intrinsic fear response when going onto the plane, at least say for the first time or first couple of times. And what I'll Or be maybe cute. even indefinitely.
0: What I'll be curious to know is, can you completely get rid of a fear? So maybe imagine you say that fact to someone who has a terrible fear of going on a plane. Mm. You say to them, you're more likely to die in a car crash. And then they think, oh, that's so true. Like, I, sh- I shouldn't be scared of that at all. Do you so think... then what, they become scared of the cars now? Suddenly they're <laughs> like, oh, I'm worried I'm about <laughs> the completely wrong thing. I'm, I'm only going to fly. <laughs>
1: There's a perfectly ra- perfectly rational person. I, um, th- yeah, that, that's how it should be, technically. But-,
0: but But what I'm saying is, do you think then that person who realises that... Would next do you, do you think it would be possible for them to fly and the next time they fly, or the first time they fly, to have zero fear? Or do you think the only way for them to truly get over the fear would be that first flight? Maybe their fear will be a lot reduced. They'll be like, "Oh, I remember. I remember what Saban said. I shouldn't be scared of this. Like, I'm not. I'm not too scared." Mm. Do you think they could have zero fear without flying, without having flown, still, or would they need to actually fly to get over that fear? Because that's my whole. I'd question. say they, they'd
1: have to fly.
0: So the the, the answer yeah. to the question then of being afraid of something is that. You ultimately have to do yeah, it. Because all
1: it. of that rationalization and everything in terms of like statistics or whatever reasoning you want to use beforehand gets you to ex- to be exposed to the fear in the first place. But when you're being exposed to that fear, you are still going to be scared. There's no way you're just being like, oh yeah, it's calm. So I'll just sit on the plane and it's calm. You're still going to have that intrinsic fear response.
0: Okay, so this is very interesting. I'm not sure if it's entirely related, but it ties into um, two schools of thought that I that, I heard about in philosophy one being called empiricism and one being called rationalism and it's to do with the source of true knowledge mm. and empiricism is from what i understand the idea that you need to experience something to have true knowledge of what it is and the other and rationalism is is what you imagine probably is you to rationalize it perfectly makes the knowledge makes you have true knowledge of it and don't they don't just go together because yeah you could Like, do something and not understand how it works, or you could understand how something works but have never done it, and who knows how to do that thing, Mm. if that makes sense. And I guess what the reason why it makes me think of that is you're saying the only way you can truly get over a fear is by actually doing it, experiencing it. So you can rationalize it all you like, but the only way that fear is going to go away is if you do it and then you yeah, have like empirical you, evidence.
1: You could become an aeronautical engineer, right, and study everything about aeroplanes. You know how they work from this, like every single nut and bolt in the plane. But if, you're, if you initially had a fear of planes, like, okay, going through that entire process, which, be, which would be extremely laborious, okay, you, some of your initial fear might be reduced. But I think when you still sit on that plane for the first time, you're still going to have a certain level of anxiety and fear.
0: Okay, so are fears irrational then? no fears are rational so why can't you rationalize them to get rid of them
1: oh man yeah this because i i I don't know i don't have the the words or the you know intellect to be able to answer that because it's just it's it's that weird um relationship like in economics where okay so in in like at least i first read about this when i was like reading about economics and stuff and Um, This was covered in Daniel uh, Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's about negativity dominance. So this is where, okay, yeah, you can rationalize things one for one perfectly, but then you will still have that intrinsic thing or you will still make a technically irrational decision. Like, you know, classic thing with like bets or something. If you were to, yeah, like, so if you were to have a bet, where it's basically it's a coin flip. And if you... Um, like, okay. So if, if, if you guess the coin flip, so basically it's a one in two chance, right? If you guess the coin flip correctly, then you win say a hundred thousand pounds, right? Or dollars. But if you get it wrong, then you lose $5,000. Would you take that bet? L- okay. L- l- and let's say that you had five grand that you could lose as well.
0: Like I have five grand. Like, I Yeah.
1: So you have five grand in, in your pocket right and it's not like this five grand is a make or break in terms of your life yeah um
0: i would do it then yes
1: yeah okay at what point would you stop? so what about 20k you'd lose 20k and you add that 20k and you could it's not just that you could lose it but obviously it's gonna hurt to lose 20k even if you're a millionaire um and then it's like at what point would it flip it
0: would be the point where i can't like i can't afford to lose that money
1: yeah okay but Am I being annoying? Yeah, you are, but you I, I suppose it kind of makes the point that
0: Am I being it's not irrational? <laughs> you
1: wouldn't it wouldn't flip. It wouldn't flip but yeah, no, as in it's kind of proving the point because it's not that you wouldn't take the bet when it reaches a hundred thousand. So it's equal chances because technically it's equal chances at that point yeah. of you gaining a hundred thousand or then losing a hundred thousand. Oh yeah. Um yeah. so yeah. It, it almost make more sense at that point rather than, okay, this is a bad example. I couldn't think of an example off the top of my head, but it kind of shows the point. But basically, there's a concept of negativity dominance. And I'll just kind of read out this um, stuff that I wrote and snippets that I took. Um, so, bad emotions, bad parents, and bad feedback have more impact than good ones. And bad information is processed more thoroughly than good information. Um, good information being like you know positive rather than not like good versus bad type of thing in terms of the quality of the information. Um, the self is more motivated to avoid bad self definitions than to pursue good ones. Bad impressions and bad stereotypes are quicker to form and are resistant to disconfirmation than good ones. I think I made a typo, so I don't really know what I said there. Um, so long term long term success of a relationship depends far more on avoiding the negative than on seeking the positive. I suppose, I I mean, okay, now I'm just trying to flick through my notes because I wrote some random stuff. Um, So yeah, that's also related to, so negativity, dominance, and then loss aversion. Basically, negative conceptions or preconceived notions about a particular thing have way more impact in our intrinsic kind of like fear system compared to um, positive or like the opposite kind of statistics. So we can just have a thing like, you know, plane crashes are fatal right but we can also then think that um plane crashes are extremely rare way rarer than a car crash but because we just know that plane crashes are fatal basically you know if it were to like just crash into the ground or something because that's such a negative notion it's just held so strongly that okay yes we can be given this statistic that it's extremely extremely rare which is a good piece of information but we just have A dominance towards negativity. Why? Because it's generally protective in terms of survival.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So if there were like 99 Smarties where you get um, a million pounds and then one Smartie where you just die, you eat it and you immediately die.
1: Yeah, you just wouldn't take that bet. I wouldn't. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but but then at what point would you? Would you take it at 10 million, 100 million? Oh, yeah. Or then what about, okay, it wasn't death, but you lose an eye. Because
0: you're doing that every day in a way. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So it's all about that. But negativity is dominant. I'll look
0: up the rate of death from flying.
1: Yeah. So yeah, you one. can do all of that. And technically you should take that bet where, okay, you win 10 million or you die and that 99 to one odds. That's a good example, actually. But you wouldn't take it. I mean, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Either. Yeah, exactly. But, um,
0: My life's on the line. <laughs>
1: yeah. So negativity dominance relates to loss aversion. So, and with regards to loss aversion, we are driven more strongly to avoid losses than to achieve gains at a ratio of about two to one according to whatever studies i can't really remember i didn't write the references down which is bad on my part um but it's from the book thinking fast and slow so yeah i suppose that's where the kind of aspect of you can't rationalize you can't out rationalize an affair because a fear by definition is an irrational response. Like if you're talking about a pathological fear, it's an irrational an extreme response to a stimulus, a relatively neutral stimulus, or basically the fear is out of proportion to the stimulus. Yeah. But you can't just out rationalize it with facts and stuff because we are, you know, dominant towards a negative side. We have this notion of loss aversion because it promotes human survival, I suppose. Um, so, then the only way to actually go through again, like, and outstrip a fear basically is to just kind of experience it enough to the point where you become comfortable with it. Um, because anything new essentially puts in some kind of fear because there's uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen in any kind of scenario, in, in that kind of scenario. Because I didn't know what I was going to feel on a ro- roller coaster. When I started realizing the feeling that I would get on a roller coaster, I realize that I actually kind of enjoy it. Like, but then, yeah, every time I go on, there is still that fear response because there's an element of danger going at speed through the air. Right. So you, I get the whole, you know, systemic kind of sympathetic response, which is a fear response, technically in that scenario, part excitement as well. They kind of go hand in hand, but there's still that fear response. But I like that fear response. Because that fear response at that point is driven intrinsically. Like that's something in like my hippocampus that I can't, not hippocampus, but you you know what I mean. the the, Amygdala. Huh? Um, Yeah, amygdala, the the entire limbic system. Um, I can't control that because that's just a physiological response. But through my experience, I can put a top down from the cortex down to the like brainstem. I can then kind of tamper down that response and then still go through with it, even though my body's kind of saying, no, this is a fight or flight kind of situation. I don't want to be in it, but I kind of enjoy it <laughs> because then I've also tamed down that physiological response as well to make it slightly different. And then, yeah, there are other, I suppose, with roller coasters and stuff, there are other things because the reason we find or people tend to find, find it so enjoyable because we get like huge releases of dopamine when you're um, like you're moving at a tilted access to access to gravity which is why things like all these extreme sports like Sky skydiving diving, ski uh, jump. yeah exactly and um skiing. skiing snowboarding motorcycle riding all of that stuff even just turning fast in a car right you get the tilting then your head has to like readjust so now you're moving at a different flight gravity the 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 the, the main for man i can't remember any of my physics what's it called the resultant force is like going in like a different direction and then your like vestibular system is like taking that all in and balancing it and that's actually a really good stimulus for learning um anyway that's like a weird tangent but yeah that's basically why i don't think you can just out rationalize a fear even though fears by definition pathological fears are irrational but fears themselves are a rational thing
0: yes i agree with that
1: uh, you said the word rational like seven times but no, it, it, it had to fear, be done
0: the, the like fear is rational there's a reason why we fear things mm. but like with many things it, there's there is there are times where that fear is irrational where mm. we shouldn't we don't need to have that fear and then I guess the best way to deal with that is yeah to
1: you just have to be exposed to it but then it comes to the question that you can't do that with death yeah because you can't then re-experience death. Well, you know, maybe you can to a certain extent if you've gone through a near-death experience. If you are if and, you are certain that you're dying, maybe. Yeah. And some people have gone those through those near-death experiences and then the whole outlook on life changes and stuff. So yeah, that's probably the only circumstance where you can go through that traditional, like, you know, exposure type uh treatment for fear, if that if that's the correct word. But most people don't get that kind of opportunity whether that's a good thing or a bad thing but um yeah so how, how then do you rationalize the fear of death
0: I guess if you do fear dying then yeah you just have
1: to <laughs> like statistically everyone dies so it's calm like yeah how do you rationalize it so I think like actually religion and stuff like or any kind of spirituality plays a huge role in that kind of thing because ultimately that's probably I can see it being like the biggest fear that you know many people would have, and for a lot of people, it is, but for me, it is kind of almost rationalized because I almost see like no value in this life in this world. Because the real life for me is like the next world, this is just like a test, is you know, how to like describe it simply is my test for like the next world. So I can get the you know, glad tidings of paradise, the W, <laughs> yeah, basically. I want to get that W, um, but. Essentially the like the the W's of this world are basically, you know, negligible. They're futile because you don't take them to the next world. So the only thing that's actually worth it is in this world for me is, you know, everything related to Islam in terms of, you know, doing good deeds, that kind of stuff, doing what I've been mandated to do.
0: But then it's because you're changing your the nature of death that you're fearing, maybe then, is different to the nature of death that other people are fearing because your definition of death is a bit different then. Yeah. So the thing is
1: is that If I were to just kind of like, just die, like, you know, man, it sounds so bad, like saying this because, you know, you shouldn't really just speak about it in that kind of way. But, um, yeah, say if I were to like, just die tomorrow, like, would I be happy? I don't know. I mean, no one would be happy, I suppose. It's like, yeah. Okay. So this is a weird thing because so like I, I frequently make prayers about my death and it's it's a thing that's you know common among Muslims as well but it's not asking for death it's not seeking death oh man like on like just get me out of this world or whatever um it's not I'm not saying that I want to die but what I'm saying is make me die in like a state of goodness or forgiveness or whatever like so that you know it makes it easier when the like you know the examination like the results day comes right and then um you know you go to the next world because uh, yeah that gives me a sense of comfort though because then I'm just like you know I'm doing what I can to try and you know op- like increase my score for results day uh the day of judgment and I'm just doing everything I can and obviously I'm there's always more that I can do but at least I'm trying to make the intention of doing everything I can in that kind of Like that's my main outlook. That's everything that I do in life, all the way from like recording this podcast to studying for exams to eating healthily and going to the gym is all combined. I always make it with the intention to kind of, you know, please God. Or yeah, please God and like, you know, improve my standing for the day of judgment in whatever way. Because again, a lot of the reward in Islam, or basically all of the reward in Islam comes from the intention. So I can so anyone can do like loads of good stuff and whatever, but it won't count for you if your intention wasn't right initially. And that'll get onto a whole nother topic. That's you know, something for a scholar to discuss and for a whole nother episode. But yeah, I suppose that all kind of helps me reconcile with the fact that I am going to die at some point. I don't know how I'm going to die. I could die, you know, in the next hour. I could die in the next, you know, 100 years if I'm lucky enough to live to 120 or something. So, yeah. So that's why I struggle to see that, you know, people who say, you know, aren't religious or like say, you know, religious in Islam and stuff. I would find it if I wasn't in that circumstance to really like rationalize death, if that makes sense. So, I suppose, yeah, for me it like compared to most people, I suppose it comes from a like my fear of death is very different,
0: and maybe it's um not that you can completely eradicate the fear, but maybe make peace with the fear itself yeah,
1: that's that's the main thing, that's the right way to say it, I think,
0: yeah,
1: mm. yeah, <laughs> madness, well, that took a big turn from exams to death,
0: yeah, <laughs> I guess it's the the final yeah. conclusion from. That book really made me think a lot about death this week, I think. Uh, yeah.
1: So, yeah. yeah, no, I think it's it's a good thing to think about death because it, it really makes you think about your life and what you're doing while you're doing. Yeah. Um, and the exactly. meaning of your life. Exactly. Whatever you make that to be.
0: And that's that that's exactly the point of the book. The exact point. Only when he's actually faced with death did he start to consider the meaning of life.
1: Mm. But Don't you think that's slightly too late at that point? Well, obviously obviously that's like a a book, right? But that's the whole point of the book. Yes. to like, you know, you're going to die. Think about what you're actually trying to do in this time between now and death. Completely. Yeah. And do something that will fulfill you at least.
0: And you know what? That's why um, for me personally, I'm, I don't, again, I don't know if it's a bit weird to say, I'm glad that I had all of that heart stuff when I was a teenager. Like, though being forced to face death in a way like you know ranging from like the actual event of of when doing sport to going through that whole operation and stuff because again it's kind of like with planes like flying but with with a heart operation as well yeah you're told about the things that can go wrong and stuff and it forces you to
1: surgery like that there's like the risks are like way higher as well
0: exactly so it's something that it becomes much more of a, a reality that, that you're, you're faced with it, and there's nothing you can really do about it. In a way, you kind of have to accept that that is a possibility, and then think about your mortality. And even though I, I was maybe 13 at the time, and uh, I was yeah, I was 13 at the time. I don't know. Even in the years since then, it did make me just try, just understand that death will happen at some point. So yeah, and think about why I'm doing. Th- what i do or what i want from life and yeah the answer my answer won't be the same as your answer won't be the exact same as the next person's answer but we all have our own answer and yeah
1: yeah i think ultimately it's just really important to accept and realize how fragile life is like it is extremely fragile we are very soft creatures as humans at least um and anything can just kill us at a moment's notice and it 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 just makes me sad to think that like sometimes people just aren't prepared for that. If that makes sense, whereas like it, it like I said like in Islam, like a lot of it is based around that. Like you are going to die, now, uh, you need to try and sort yourself out in this this period so that you know you'd take the w in the next next you know infinite period. If that makes sense. Um. So all the way from like childhood, you you're you're always reconciling with the fact that you can die at, at, at any moment, kind of thing, um, and you realize. And, and you just try and accept how fragile it is and you never really get that experience when like you never really truly understand how fragile it is until someone close to you does pass away in whatever way that is um but i suppose illness to a certain extent at least transient you know spontaneously resolving illness is actually almost a blessing to a certain extent if you actually take into account like what's happening to you because i was ill like two weeks ago and that was the first time me being ill and like for like probably yeah, four to five years at least being properly ill i've between in that period i've had the occasional like sore throat and stuff that would last like for a day maximum two days kind of thing but otherwise i'd be feel fine and that would just come around every winter um but yeah during that period where i was ill so i I basically just had like some kind of gas not gastroenteritis but food poisoning or something it it wasn't it, it was pretty severe for me and yeah it wrecked me Basically, um obviously, it's relative, and I was still functional, being able to do stuff. But I was also there, you know, luckily with medical knowledge, being able to. I was. I literally had like all of my salts out. I had my salt. I had my potassium. Had my iodine and everything. So I was like replacing everything, and it was like hard work. But I was still exhausted and drained, had brain fog and stuff. I just felt uncomfortable in pain sometimes when my tummy was going blah, 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 kind of stuff. So hyperactive bowel and everything and it just really did make me reflect that man i've had a good run of good health which is you know an extreme blessing and yeah i'm putting in the work that i can do to try and make myself as healthy as possible you know in every single way to even that when i do come across an infection like i did that i can still get over it relatively easily but again that's that infection could have been the end of me for you know whatever reason it could have been something really severe um luckily in the Western world, we don't really have, you know, gastroenteritis type, you know, back serious like, you know, cholera and stuff or shigella, shigella and stuff like it's not really common in the UK. Um, so, yeah, luckily it was just a normal viral probably type thing. And, you know, I got over it, but it just made me reflect on that point that, man, like it, suddenly this can become chronic where someone can suddenly can be a, a more serious thing and that can be, become a chronic thing and that could lead to your death that's how fragile everything is um you know life is for humans at least so i think it's just worth always thinking about that at all times because it really does make you reflect and really think about what you're doing in your day-to-day life and think how can i make the most of it and then again that probably ends up coming down to like happiness and love and spreading the message and um, spreading the message in terms of like happiness and stuff just making the people around you happy because that's probably what means most to most people um in terms of having a fulfilling life and that sounds really wet and cliche but no i agree i think
0: for me yeah it's pretty similar and just to live like Mm. yeah
1: whatever that means for everyone yeah
0: just to be alive you know like part of that in my opinion is um experience like the the full range of emotions that you can experience, good and bad, and um, l- learn as much as you can while you're here. I guess it's pointless in a way, trying to learn things if you're just going to die anyway. Because I'm not saying learn it for the sake of knowing things, but learn it just to understand and appreciate the things around you. Because, mm. yeah, that that's what I find happens. The more I learn about something, the more I can appreciate it. Um, you know, whether that be music or um something from history making me appreciate a place or a group of people or a different culture or a language it it means that i can appreciate those good things about life a little bit more and also to appreciate the negative things for what they teach you to and then yeah just to live i don't know that that's that's i think how i see it so yeah i i still would say that i'm afraid of dying but at the same time i it doesn't keep me up at night, you know? Yeah.
1: You have kind of come to peace with it to a certain extent. Definitely. And
0: I think, yeah, if I'm just thinking now, if I were to die tomorrow, how would I feel about that fact? If I knew that I were to die tomorrow, Mm. I think I'd be very not happy with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The thing is, if you know when you're going to die, then that just changes the way you think about it entirely. That's why, well, I suppose if you are terminally ill, you know, that's when the way you start thinking about it changes a lot. Whereas when you're like younger and healthy and stuff, again it's oh, it's just never really on your mind. that's a whole nother dynamic to
0: that must be yeah think about can't imagine what that feels like you know maybe one day one of us will experience that feeling, but like
1: or at least you know through someone else like a close family member, it's like statistically gonna happen to most people anyway, so I suppose like to lighten the mood Dan, do you have a random fact, yep, <laughs> go on um
0: about death. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh something from the uh wait.
1: okay so while, whilst you look for one i have a i have one that's slightly interesting and well not interesting but um it's just a random fact basically elon musk is going to pay the biggest tax bill in history i think from what it looks like it's probably going to be between 12 to 13 i think 13.8 would end up being like the max but yeah between 12 and 13 billion dollars in tax interesting it's pretty interesting how he also the way he was selling his shares and stocks and options and stuff and and um he was doing it to try and maximize his tax payout. So interesting. Can you imagine that? 12 billion dollars? Like he sold like seventeen uh no, he, he sold like I can't remember how much, like probably around twenty or twenty twenty bit somewhere between like twenty and thirty billion dollars worth of stock. Um yeah and 12 billion to tax. That's mad. 12 billion. I wish I had 12 billion.
0: Okay. My fact is going to be about an island in the Atlantic. Okay. I need to find it. I'm looking on the map. It's called um, Rockall Island and uh, it's very small. And the UK are in big disagreement with, I believe, it's Denmark and Iceland, about who owns it. It's basically <laughs> 17 metres, juts out from the sea, 17 metres high. It's um, very, very ridiculously small. It has no people on it or anything. And the only pe- reason why... Basically, it's just a giant rock. It's called an islet. It's not even an island. But the only reason why the three countries are fighting over it is because of it gives you fishing rights. So... Yeah. Oh. basically oh, everyone's arguing was it
1: you I was have, you were telling me about the whole or maybe I watched um, no nah, I watched like a YouTube video it was like 30 minutes long about this whole fishing wars thing between like Iceland and all the big major countries in terms of owning different parts of seas to yes. have fishing rights it's very it's toxic it's a huge thing
0: it's really yeah. complicated as well yeah, the legality yeah. of it because it depends on the yeah sorry you, you were saying
1: no no as an I, I can't really re- remember much apart from that but I just know that there's been beef in history about fish Yes,
0: so, definitely fishing. I guess, obviously, it's so integral to certain countries' economies, especially, yeah. like, seafaring nations, in a way. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it just it's because you get to claim a certain amount of ocean around yeah. your country, but there this are a few is factors. Such a first world
1: <laughs> it's, it's such a first-world problem.
0: It's such a first-world problem, but at the same time, I guess it... it it can be your livelihood in a way. Yeah, you know? true. True. If you if you're allowed to fish, if you're allowed to control a certain area of the sea, that can give you a lot of power. And then also there are questions like, for example, in the Eastern Mediterranean, Turkey, Libya, Greece, Egypt, they all beef over what part of the ocean they own because then they want to make like pipelines between different countries. But then if you know, you need you need uninterrupted access to the ocean to make a complete pipeline mm. what if one country says oh no i own 10 meters of that pipeline so you, you, and you can't have the pipeline in that bit then you can't do anything about it yeah so yeah it's it must be extremely frustrating anyway that was the fact of the week for me it's Rockle, um I, the islet and <laughs> not yeah, even and an they, island they're beefing yeah, around yeah. it yeah, yeah. Funny. um
1: okay so my meme of the week is from yeah it was like last week it was by the instagram page Liquidity play on words for liquidity um finance related memes very very good uh, meme page i do recommend basically the post was we interviewed 45 children ages 6 to 10 years old and 98% of them said that for christmas they do not want presents do not want toys they just want access to private investment opportunities lower taxes carried interest taxation left at, um and carried in- interest tax taxation left at the lower capital gains rate um so I just thought that was a uh, pretty funny, considering the whole situation regarding all of those factors. But that gave me a good chuckle.
0: Okay, I mean, this has been a bit of a
1: blockbuster episode. Yeah, I've got a good title for it, though. You want to know? Yeah, exams and death. <laughs> I exams mean, it summarizes it perfectly. So, <laughs> and yes. to be fair, a lot of people probably linked the two, but in different ways than yeah. we were discussing it. So
0: <laughs> it's like you're being you're being faced with this life changing dreadful event in front of you yeah and you can use the word exam and death interchangeably in some ways (laughs) anyway i suppose we'll leave it there yeah i'll catch you in the next one
1: peace peace thank you for listening to this episode of getting it if you enjoyed this episode or didn't then feel free
0: to leave us a rating and review on the apple podcasts app or on the apple podcasts
1: website We'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or questions about anything we discussed. So feel free to email us at thoughts at gettingit.co.uk.
0: You can also reach us on Twitter or Instagram at
1: gettingit_pod. You can find all the links in the show notes.